This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. You are listening to the teaching ministry of our church. Thank you for downloading this sermon. If you have any questions about the church, go to firstfam.org or call us at 904-264-2351. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, that's John Mark, John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went down to the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. You know, I gotta, I gotta tell you that I'm looking at the next passage in Acts as we're kind of working through this, and And I didn't read uh, verse 15 two weeks ago, but I read through verse 14 two weeks ago, and we talked a lot about John Mark and about that abandonment and that separation and how God eventually restores that. And as I went to verse 15, I I could not really get too far beyond that last phrase. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, just a little context in here for those that may not remember three weeks ago, Paul and Barnabas have been sent by God and ordained and, and lay, hands laid upon them from the church at Antioch. They are on their first missionary journey. They have others that are going along with them, one by the name of John Mark, who makes it for a little bit of the trip, but at this point, he goes home. Uh, John Mark is Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, the inspired by the Holy Spirit book there in the New Testament. But at this point, Mark is young, and, and he abandons them on their, on their journey. And uh, the good news is he comes back, there's a restoration there. But you have Paul and you have Barnabas and, there, and maybe some others that are with them. And they have left one city, they've gotten on a boat and they've made their way across the sea and they've arrived at another city. And there are some geography uh, information here for those that need that. And uh, it is helpful. And from Paphos and Perga and Pamphylia and they arrive at Antioch in Pisidia. Now, uh, the only reason I want to point that out is because Antioch and Pisidia is not the same Antioch that Paul and Barnabas were sent from. It's not the same city. It's not, there was not, not the church that was there. This is another city of the same name, but in a different region. And when they arrive there in the city, they do what they do often when they enter into new cities. They go to the synagogue. Now, it says it is the Sabbath day. And just for clarification, because just as a reminder, sometimes as Christians we miss this, uh, just in case you thought this was the case, I'll clarify it today. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. There is one Sabbath, and the Sabbath on a weekly basis begins on Friday at sundown, and it ends on Saturday at sundown. It has always begun on Friday at sundown. It has always ended on Saturday at sundown. And while we gather on Sunday, we do so because it's the Lord's Day in celebration of what not only did we celebrate last Sunday, but we celebrate every day, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they go to a church, synagogue, on the Sabbath on a Friday evening or a Saturday, depending on what time they arrive. And there are already those gathering there, as they would do weekly. This is not odd. This is not out of order. This is not strange. This is what good, obedient Jewish people would do in that city. Now, we're not saying Antioch and Pisidia is a Jewish city, but there are Jews that live in the city. Therefore, they have a synagogue. And because they have the synagogue and because Paul and Barnabas are both Jewish, when they arrive into the city, that is their first point, just as in every city they go first to the Jews. And they go there on the synagogue, or to the synagogue on that Sabbath, as was, as it says, their custom. They did so. 
And as they're there, what's happening? There is teaching going on. There is singing going on. There is teaching of the Torah and the Old Testament. It even says in the passage, after the reading of the law and the prophets, and you're wondering, what is that? Well, it's not all of it, but it's, it's the Old Testament. So they're reading from the Old Testament law. They're reading from the Old Testament prophets. And this is the moment that I think is one that just made me pause at verse 15 before I could even get through the rest of the chapter. When they look around, and here's our guests, you know, Paul and Barnabas are here, they're guests, they've never been here before, we're so glad you're here. We've heard of Paul, maybe, and, and his friend Joseph, who goes by Barnabas, that's a cool nickname, and, and they look to him, and they say, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, I, I don't know where you are in your journey today, but I, I have a feeling that there's more than one of us in the room, one counting me, that means there's more than me in the room that needs a word of encouragement every now and then. You know, you need a word of encouragement. You, there's so much discouraging in the world. You say, I need a word of encouragement. I think I'll, I'll turn on the national news. That's encouraging. No. I need a, I need a word of encouragement. I'll, I'll turn on some talk radio and listen. No, no, that's not going to work. I got a podcast. Well, maybe. Depends on what you're listening to. Maybe. Maybe not. I'll just go talk to my neighbor. Depends on your neighbor. Word of encouragement. Discouragement is the norm. We are saturated in discouragement. Brothers, if you have a word of encouragement, please, please, say it. To Paul, the former Christian killer, church destroyer, Christian arrester, along with his missionary partner, Joseph, who, by the way, has a nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, no coincidence here. And I don't know that this is the case, but I kind of feel like Barnabas got his nickname before he became a Christian. There are just some people that encourage you by their nature. They're so rare, we give them nicknames. When Barnabas walks in the room, you're glad to see him. But they're there together. And it struck me as important that they were there on that day at that time and given that opportunity because so many people need encouragement. And, and can I just say that many people in our world do not necessarily automatically, when they think of Christians or religious people or preachers, they don't automatically think, oh, that's an encouraging person. In fact, in many cases, they think just the opposite. And I'm not saying where every Christian is a discouraging person. I'm just saying there only has to be a few that are loud, that are discouraging enough to create the stereotype that the rest of us have to battle through. And sometimes, well, I'd like to believe I'm the rest of us, sometimes I'm the discourager. Even in an attempt to speak about encouragement this morning, it became very clear at the close of the 8 o'clock service that I spoke more in a discouraging way than an encouraging way. Thus, my notes are now covered in red ink. As much has been erased, as I pray that God will give me the words that need to be hear, heard today. I want you to think about what would be categorized as an encouraging word for you? What would be something that could be said to you that would be encouraging, that, that when you need a boost, this is what is said, when you need a push, when you need a, a positive word? And, and, I, and I know that, that there is this, this whole positivity mindset that is out there that can be helpful but could also be hurtful if that's our hope and just thinking positive thoughts. I mean, it it didn't work for Norman Vincent Peale because it creates a false gospel that's propagated. It doesn't work for the prosperity gospel folks because it's not true. But there is a sense of encouragement 
in thinking of all that God has done that should be easy to tell others. When I was a youth pastor years ago in Texas, we would do camps for the state convention. Now, youth camp is an interesting thing because youth camps, some of you have been to youth camps, summer camps, and I'm talking about church youth camps. Youth camps are, 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 are not reality. They're, they're kind of like, you know, you, you, you drop off a bus, everybody gets the same t-shirt, you're taught songs you've never heard before, you do hand motions that you've never done before, you're divided into teams with people you've never met before, and you, you create cheers that you've never cheered before, and you earn points that don't mean anything. Well, that's part of youth camp, kind of sounds like survivor, but that's part of youth camp. But the part of youth camp that is real are the decisions that are made for Christ when students and teenagers are able to disconnect from everything else that distracts them. Now we get it, you know, it's a lot of fun, it should be fun. But I remember at this camp there was a, there was this um, opportunity created for every one of our teams, our tribes, and it was called the unsung hero, and the intent was for Christian teenagers and even adults that are in the in the camp to have their eyes open to be able to recognize maybe those students who aren't the best athletes who aren't the best singers who will never be on stage who may not make the best grades in school or not the most popular person but are a valuable and a viable part of that made-up team that exists for only four days and and if and if our eyes are open enough to kind of see the people we don't see normally then we might discover that some of those individuals are vital to the health of who we are. And the unsung heroes were these students that at the end of the week they received an award. It was a t-shirt that said, hey, I'm an unsung hero. You know, it's like, I don't know if you want to wear that in public, but, you know, uh, let me draw attention to myself and tell you about me. Let me tell you how humble I am, but that kind of thing. But the intent was right. Students would sign little things on the shirts, you know, little encouraging words. They're kind of like yearbook statements, you know, hey, stay the way you are and we'll go far, you know, that kind of stuff. Or God bless you, you're a blessing, love you. And and it's real to a degree, it really is. And the students that really needed that, you could tell. Because you don't necessarily know what's going on Monday through Friday in the regular week, but you know at camp, they kind of blossom, they kind of they kind of uh, come out of their shell a little bit and, and they become that individual that's noticed not because of all that they do, just because of that Barnabas kind of personality that is revealed. You know, Friday's a hard day at youth camp. Usually camps are Monday through Friday. So Friday's a hard day because you load up the buses and, you know, there's, there's always some, some kid in the youth group that found his long lost love, I guess, on another church and they became boyfriend and girlfriend, got engaged on Wednesday and... <laughs> And then they're going to get on a bus on Friday. And, you know, you know the old the Christian song. We used to sing it all the time. Friends are friends till Friday, till the bus comes home, you know, for us. Uh, I think Michael W. Smith wrote that. So, um, and then there's that back to the reality thing. And we would have students crying, oh, every week, every year. Oh, I just, can't we just live at youth camp? And every adult's going, no, uh, <laughs> no. And sometimes it's funny because you're like, they just love each other, they're just having a fun time, it's the disconnect from everything else, but then there are those students, and sometimes it's those unsung heroes. They want to stay at camp because when they get off the bus back home, even if that pseudo-reality of youth camp isn't really real, when they get back home, the hell they're walking into is really real. And maybe for the first time in their life, they had someone say an encouraging word to them without wanting something from them. And so they long for that. But here's something else to think about. It's not just teenagers at youth camps. 
There's teenagers that don't go to youth camps. Oh, it's not just teenagers. It's all of us that are too old to go to youth camps. Sometimes you just need an encouraging word because you don't have to look far to be told how sorry you are. Someone will let you know that pretty quickly, that you don't measure up, that you don't behave accordingly, that you've got this and you've got that going against you. And the sad reality is, is I recognize that more often than not, due to my spiritual giftedness of sarcasm and really just my sinful nature and the heart that I used to have before I was changed by Christ, sometimes that old dead heart raises itself back up and I start thinking and acting like I used to. And uh, you remember that old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt? You know it's a lie, right? Well, I could hit you with a rock, but I could hurt you with a word. And sometimes that happens. Paul and Barnabas are an interesting pair. Paul shoots straight and sometimes hurts feelings. But he's always in his words and what we have in account here in the scriptures, speaking that which God wants people to hear. And sometimes you have to hear the hard stuff. Barnabas is the guy that you just are glad that he's the assistant coach. You remember the movie, Remember the Titans? When the two coaches had to merge, when segregation um, was ending, and the high school team, you have the black players and the white players, and the black coach and the white coach, and, and they're becoming one team, and it's you know, based on a true story, and it happened in that school and many others, but you had the coach of the predominantly white school, who's still the coach, he's the assistant now, and you have the coach of the predominantly black school, who's the head coach, and played by Denzel Washington, and Denzel's character was a, he's the kind of coach I grew up with, he's harsh, you think he's mean, but he really loves you because he, he, he cares for you, but he, he's, he's not going to Uh, give you a band-aid when you're cut he's going to say rub some dirt in it and run another lap while the other coach was more of the player's coach Denzel's kind of like Paul and the other coach is kind of like Barnabas I think you you end up with both of those at that point and that's what Paul and Barnabas find themselves here at this moment and I just find it interesting that as they're sitting in the synagogue you got a group of religious people who are, you know, not the majority in the community, so they're persecuted. They're in their synagogue where it's safe. They've read the law and the prophets. They're hoping for a Messiah. They've heard of what Jesus, probably what happened in Jerusalem, but they don't live in Jerusalem. It might as well have happened on the other side of the planet. And here are these two guys, and they're sitting there with them, and they look to them and say, hey, brothers, we're really glad you're here. I hope you filled out a welcome card. Thank you for that. And I ask you this question, Paul, we, we've heard of you. Do you. You're kind of a Pharisee. We look up to those guys. Are, you got a word for us today? You got a good word for us today, Paul? Anything maybe to get us through the next week? Anything to remind us of the goodness of God? Anything at all? Anything? Do you have an encouraging word for us, Paul? Now, what's a missionary to say when that's opportunity provided for them? What's the former church destroyer to offer? What's the one who had Christians arrested and persecuted the church to say at that moment in the synagogue? What about the man whose nickname is Encourager? What's he supposed to say? Brothers, if you have a word, could you say it? And boy, did he have a word. He had many words, 
Many words of encouragement, words with power, words with of hope, words of change, words that make the difference between death and life. Not necessarily the encouragement that we would expect, not necessarily the kind of encouragement that we would offer. This is not what Paul or Barnabas said. They didn't look to him and say, you guys are awesome. You can do it. You have the power. Keep on keeping on. You're a winner. Believe in yourself. He didn't offer that. Those are not necessarily sinful or wrong, but that's kind of what you get from anybody. Even people you don't know. You can do it. And sometimes those words are all you need, but more often than not, you need more than that. In this real world that he's in, he's asked, do you have a word of encouragement for us? There are many verses in Scripture that give us words of encouragement and words of hope, but they also give us instructions that sometimes, I'll just be really honest, seem like, well, I know that's a biblical instruction. I know that means because it's a command, I can do it, but I never really quite know how to do what they're telling me to do in the Bible. Like when, when it says, hey, be strong and courageous, you want to go, okay. How, how do, do I just change my mind and now I'm courageous? But what if I'm a wimp? What if I'm scared all the time? Be strong and courageous. Well, I know, okay, but how? Or take heart. Strengthen your heart. That's all in the scriptures. And it's positive, but there's a difference in cultural positivity and biblical positivity. Because in the scriptures, as you look at the full context of it, it becomes very clear that God is not saying, nor are his apostles saying, nor would anybody speaking for him be saying, hey, just look deep within yourself and you can make it happen. It's up to you. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says very clearly, I know you don't have it in you to do this, but God does. Be strong and courageous. How can you be strong and courageous? Because God is strong and courageous. In fact, he's already fought the battle you are worried about. He's already won the battle you're concerned about. Paul and Barnabas are asked to give an encouraging word. I, years ago, and, and uh, this brother passed away, died either last year or the year before. Warren Wearsby, many of you may have some Warren Wearsby commentaries. I had a retired pastor in Jacksonville that called the church office and had some, uh, his books, his library he was getting rid of. And, and uh, any time, you know, th there are certain rules that everybody that's called the pastoral ministry knows and their wives eventually figure it out as well, is that one, you can never have too many books. You can never have, you can't have too many. It's impossible. And a Kindle doesn't replace them. So um, he said, would you like my books? Yeah, sure. Well, can you send somebody over here to get them? I said, I'll find somebody. So we sent them over. I got a box of books and I had, and these have been well-worn and well-read and, and these are just some of them, the Wearsby commentaries. Well, well, I looked at this one and Warren, had, Warren Wearsby, uh, Dr. Wearsby had all these commentaries and everyone was a B word, like be strengthened, be, be uh, prayerful, be, you know, be something. It was a command. And this one is be encouraged. And it's a commentary on uh, 2 Corinthians. Well, I'm not going to read all that to you, but I do want to, I, I did find this interesting this morning as I was looking at his introduction to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, um, he quotes uh, Dr. John Henry Jowett, who at the time was called, when he was preaching, when he was alive, was called the greatest preacher in an English-speaking world. He says, you seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched, and everything appears most murky. Very honest. Going down a little bit further, you see 
that there was this other pastor that you may be aware of, may have heard of, named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a pastor of the Metropolitan Church there in London, England for a number of years. He is considered even today the prince of pastors, the prince of preachers, and, and he wrote this, I am the subject of depressions, depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Why read that today? Because of what Wearsby says. Discouragement is no respecter of persons. In fact, discouragement seems to attack the successful far more than the unsuccessful, for the higher we climb, the farther down we can fall. We are not surprised then when we read that the great apostle Paul was pressed out of measure and despaired even of life. Great as he was in character and ministry, Paul was human just like the rest of us. As you're reading here, though, before the letter to the Corinthians was ever written, Paul, in his early part of the ministry, was asked, despite how he may have felt himself, now that's an interesting concept, to be an encourager to those in the synagogue that need to hear a word. Can I just say that when you say, hey, Paul, do you have a word for us? That's like saying, sick him to a dog. He's ready to go. He's gone from guest, silent guest, sitting in the rows at a synagogue to the speaker who's been given the mic. Now I want you to look at the remainder of this passage. It's a long section of scripture. But I could summarize it, but let me just say there is value and worth in the written, inerrant, immutable word of God. So rather than me tell you what it says, Let's read this as we continue in Acts 13. Verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, if you just want to pause there and think about what had just been read in the synagogue as they had done their readings from the law and the prophets, and these men in, that were in this room were well-educated in the Old Testament teachings. Paul, a Jew, a Pharisee, very learned, echoes what they have referenced and goes back to what they already know. You know this. You're listening, right? You know this. Remember Exodus, right? Okay, you got this. Remember Moses? You remember Joseph, Moses, Samuel, Saul? David? What he's doing is he's putting pieces together of a story they know so that he now can reveal the piece that they had, did not know. And this is what he says in um, wherever I am now. 23, is that good? Of this man's offspring, David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John, and he's speaking of John the Baptist here, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? 
I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Now, I know this isn't Easter, but we can talk about that today too. You see, Easter we talked about when Christ was risen from the dead. And every day thereafter, we're supposed to be talking about when Christ was risen from the dead. And if you're a highlighter or you like putting stars or underlining verses, verse 30 is worth highlighting. I know it's a short little verse, but God raised him from the dead as a reminder to those that thought they knew the religious story, to those that didn't have all the pieces together, and those that needed a word of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of encouragement, but God raised him from the dead. And he says it plainly and clearly here. In verse 31, he continues, and he says, And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, that this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus also, as also it is written in the second Psalm. Just in case Paul uh, or the people needed another Old Testament proof text, he goes back to Psalm and he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken it this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Man, don't you love it when thunder hits at the end of the verse? That's good, guy. Amen. So, so the declaration Paul has asked, hey, do you have a word of encouragement for us? Paul says, do I have a word of encouragement for you? Oh, do I have a word of encouragement for you? You haven't heard what happened to Jesus? Let me tell you what happened to Jesus. You haven't heard what Jesus meant? Let me tell you what that means to you today. And let me warn you at the same time to not be a scoffer and just push it aside, for this really did happen. And I don't know if Barnabas said anything after that. Let's see, verse 41, verse 42. No, I think Barnabas is the guy that after Paul said all of that, Barnabas stood up and went, yep, (laughs) amen, what he said. He said it so well, I don't need to say it again. This is the encouraging word, and maybe you need to hear this today because the, the, the men sitting in that synagogue needed to hear this today. Knowing the Bible and knowing the promises and knowing what the, the, the prophets and the law stated did not bring them encouragement, apparently. Did not bring them fulfilling joy. It led to it, but it didn't complete it, and so Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, gives God's word, and he says, basically, with all of that, he says to them what he says to us, God loves you. He loves you. I mean, you may not even like yourself, but God loves you. 
He loves you in spite of you. He loves you so much he sent his one and only son to live, die, and to rise again on the third day. He did this so your sin would be pardoned, so that life could be found, so that hope would be a reality, so that heaven would not be something for other people to talk about. It would be not something, well, I hope I make it if I'm good enough, but it would be an, an assurity for you. A word of encouragement, yes, indeed, this is the word of encouragement. The word is, no, you cannot achieve glory on your own. You cannot work yourself into heaven. You cannot be good enough, but you don't have to be, for Christ has already done all the work. That's the good news. That's the encouraging word that God made a way through his son that all may find life if they would but receive him. This is the encouraging word. It's also the life-changing word. Paul and Barnabas share this firsthand. I don't know if you caught that. As Paul is speaking this, he's talking about things that happened in Jerusalem at the cross and the resurrection, but we know Paul wasn't in the room with the other disciples because Paul was still a Christian hater at that time. Paul was the guy that was celebrating the crucifixion of Christ. You you need need to remember this. Paul was one who was glad Jesus was crucified. Paul was one that likely scoffed at the concept that he could have risen from the grave. But Paul had his mind changed when his heart changed and his life changed when Christ himself met him on a road to Damascus. And at that moment, everything Paul thought he knew and had figured out was proven to be not complete. And Paul's heart was not only transformed, but so was his mind, and so was his story. Paul and Barnabas share about a Jesus they know. Now, why do I say it like that? Because so many people are sharing about a Jesus they've heard of. They're sharing their story. Can I say that Paul's message, Barnabas along with him, what they're doing on this mission trip is is much better than leaving a gospel track with the people that are listening, though that's not bad in and of itself. It's not personal. Their story is their story. It's not, hey, go watch this video and I hope you figure it out. Or here's somebody I want you to listen to. Maybe they can explain it better. Paul and Barnabas say, well, hey, let me tell you about the Jesus that I know. And if you want to dispute that, all I know to tell you is I'm talking about the Jesus that I know. This is what he's done, and this is what he's doing. This is a life-changing word. Why in the world, though, would Paul and Barnabas end up in Antioch and Pisidia on that day in a synagogue with those guys? You ever thought about that? Because apparently the sovereign God we serve loved those guys enough to make sure Paul and Barnabas ended up in that room. God loved people that didn't have it all figured out, that may have been seeking and trying, but needed encouragement. And God provided the message clearly. Well, that leads to this question. Why in the world on a rainy Friday day with a storm watch out and everything else going on, are you here in this building. Now, I know some are like, I've been not in the building for so long, and I got a couple of shots, and I'm so ready to get back in the building. Okay. You kind of think you organized that. You didn't. Some of you watching online are tuning in today. I know when, when we first started going online, and every church is this way. I've talked to other pastors. When we first started doing Facebook Live and YouTube, we would, we would get these, uh, these uh, analytics from Facebook and tell us how many people have viewed our video. And every pastor I know got really excited within the first month, primarily because we don't know how to read analytics. So we'd look at it, and I'd be in rooms with, man, we, you know, we'd only have 200 in church, but we had 20,000 watch our video online. 
Like, we're reaching the world for Jesus. And I didn't want to, like, you know, pour water over that, but I'm going, huh? Then I did a little research on the analytics, and, and we've had some more understanding of that. So an online viewer counts if they've watched your video for one second as it scrolls on Facebook with the audio off. Let me just say, I know God can use it. Maybe he can use me with my audio off more than with it on sometimes. I don't know. But one second's not a lot of time. But can I say that right now, I don't know who's watching. I'm not even tracking it right now. Someone's on Facebook seeing who's there. And some can see it, and then some are private viewers, and I get that. And some are on YouTube, and I don't know who's watching right now. There's usually about 30 to 40 on one, about 30 to 40 on the other. Some of you are probably sitting in here on your phone watching it at the same time. So we get a little double hit, and we'll count it because we're Baptists. So, <laughs> but I dare say that perhaps today, maybe, maybe right now, maybe at this very moment, some really weird thing has happened, and you paused on the video, and you're watching more than one second. And you don't know why, because you've already looked at, you know, Hibernia's and First Baptist Jacksonville and First Baptist Middleburg and 1122 and Chet's Creek and some church in California and some church in Ohio. You're, you're looking at all the churches, just see what they're doing like everybody else looks at. But for some reason right now, you paused right here. You may not even be a prospect to be a member of this church. You may be a former member of the church that just wants to see what they're doing now that I left. I don't know, but you're here. Why? Maybe, just maybe. Because you need to be reminded how much God deeply loves you. In the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of things not going the way you want them to, in the midst of frustration, you just need a word of reminding that God loves you. He cares for you. And maybe you're watching it and you don't even believe in God. You're not a Christian. You are just randomly at hit. You're a friend of a friend of a friend who happens to be a follower of our church online and you're watching online or you're a friend of a friend of a friend and someone dragged you into the building and they're buying you lunch and you're in the room today. But you don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus. You think it's okay that people believe it. You're not mad about it, but you don't get it. And let me just say this in case you need to hear this. Regardless of your acknowledgement of God's existence does not change the fact that he does and that he loves you. God wants you to have this hope, this life, and this word. It's an encouraging word, it's a life-changing word, and it's a word that has to be spoken. I, I don't know, this is what really hit me, and I'm, I'm almost done, but if you look at that verse where, the, where the, the men in the synagogue look to Paul and Barnabas and say, brothers, if you have a word, an encouraging word for us, say it. How convictional is that, that, that we recognize that the command is given to us, that if you have a word, say it. If you're a believer, say it. If you're a Christian, tell others. If you're holding it in, why? Why would you choose to not tell anybody this? Why would you choose to hold as the greatest secret uh, in your life the, the greatest uh, opportunity for others and for yourself? I'm guilty of that as well. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you knew you were supposed to say something to someone and by the time they walked away it was too late and you're like, oh, I should have said something, right? Now sometimes that you're trying to think of the snarky remark, oh, I wish I could have said that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the encouraging word, the, hey, how you doing, or happy birthday, you look nice. And, but by the time it comes to your mind that you now have the courage to do it, the moment is gone, and they're gone. <sighs> Say it. The silent church is being shaken, I believe, during this time of pandemic, and the command to share the gospel is clear. 
We can't just hold it in any longer and call ourselves obedient. Now, we're not giving away unsung hero t-shirts. Paul didn't finish his, uh, his message and stand up and give a t-shirt to the rabbi. He didn't do that. But he gave a word of encouragement to them because they needed it. And he gives a word of encouragement to us today because I need it. Gospel means good news. You knew that, right? Okay. Do you know why good news is called good news? It's not real deep because it's good news. Yeah. You want to write that down? It's good news because it's so good. But here's something a friend of mine will always say, he, talking about people that don't know Jesus. He said, hey, you know what? It's only good news if they hear it in time. Eventually, everybody on the planet will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Every one, every knee will bow. But only those, only those that hear the good news in time and respond will be with our Lord in heaven. And what a day that will be. Well, today you hear the good news, and last week you heard the good news. What is it we say on Easter? He is risen. Isn't that the phrase that we've said for 2,000 years? He is risen, and the appropriate response is, he is risen indeed. And so the week after Easter, you're supposed to say, oh, by the way, he's still risen. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to say, but I think you probably should. And maybe the response is, indeed. Indeed. Christians, be encouraged. That God loved you so much that he made a way for you to know him and to give you life. It may be difficult right now. I'm not minimizing the pains and the struggles that you may be going through. I don't minimize it and I don't say they don't matter. They matter and they matter to God. But be encouraged that you're not going through them alone. And be encouraged that God saw fit to choose to invite you into his family so that you may know him and that you responded accordingly. Be so encouraged that you can't help but encourage others to do the same. And for the non-believers in the room and the ones watching today that are not Christians, I want you to be encouraged as well. You know, praying a prayer does not mean that your life becomes perfect. But it does mean you, well, even praying a prayer is not even in the Bible. But surrendering your life to Christ and receiving this great gift of life, which is the gospel and the good news, changes everything. So for the non-believers and the non-Christians, I have a word of encouragement for you today as well. First of all, I encourage you to become a Christian. I know it sounds simple, and, but I do. Because apart from total surrender, everything else you do is temporal. I encourage you to surrender to Christ. And I encourage you to contact us either here in person or online so that we can help you. Some people watch us online, they don't live anywhere near Orange Park, and you're like, well, how are we going to help you? The good news is, is that we have a lot of our churches around the world, and we can help connect you with some other brothers and sisters that can be flesh and blood right near you, to walk with you. For those here today, we're thankful that we get to be flesh and blood right here for you. Be encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, for your truth, and for the encouragement that we see in Scripture. Lord, it is a challenging thing in a world that loves to remind us where we don't measure up and while we don't really measure up in our goodness to you we are thankful that you fill the gap that in spite of ourselves you have made a way that you would offer jesus christ as our as your son as that ultimate sacrifice 
who shed his blood on the cross so that we may have our sins paid for, who rose again on that third day to remind us that death is defeated in you and that life is eternal. For the ones watching and online today and the ones in the room this morning who need to to be reminded of who they are in you, Lord, today, encourage them with your words. For those who have never said yes to you, never surrendered to you, Lord, it's good news, but only if you hear it in time and respond accordingly. My prayer is that they will respond now. That they will say yes to you. That they will be born again. That new life will begin for them right now. As they confess their sins and repent and turn their life over to you. May we be a church that is pointed on equipping or being a family equipped to make disciples within redemptive communities. I pray this in Jesus' name.